Hi, everyone. It's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. Today, I'm going to talk about labels and identity. And it's a really uh, juicy conversation in many ways. So it's just opening up a big topic as opposed to, I think, a definitive, um, absolute sort of information session. So we talk a lot in the Rocksteady community on holding labels and diagnoses lightly. So when people may be told by one doctor they have many heirs or by another doctor vestibular migraine and by another doctor triple PD, it can be really confusing with lots of different conflicting medical diagnostic labels. And within the Rocksteady community, I usually talk about how from a medical health professional point of view, it's really useful to have labels so we can document things that we're seeing in clients and we can all to some extent be on the same page and they're very useful words and labels for all of those reasons but that doesn't define who you are as a person and it shouldn't need to define who you are as a person or your identity and I had one of my Rocksteady members say that they were feeling a little uh, provoked or triggered or reactive to the neurodivergent language and the difference here is that I'm coming at neurodiverg- neurodivergence and the conversation of our neurodiversity as an identity. So it's not a medical label. It's not that a person lives with autism and therefore autism needs a cure. That's not in any way, shape or form the way I view it and feel it and experience it. It's that I am Joey and I'm autistic and that's a part of who I am. It's my identity. It's how I view the world. It's how I experience the world. It's how my sensations and my sensory system capture all the vibrations of the world. It's how I hear the world, see the world. And it's also my um, relationship to that interoception of the signals inside of my body, which is my emotional world, my bodily sensations, and so on. And I actually think it's a really good, juicy conversation because this is an edge. And so for some of you who are listening to these conversations and feeling a bit like I just want to be me. I don't want labels. I don't want to overly adhere to any, I don't know, external structure or metric. I think that's a really, really valid inquiry and I fully in support um, in investigating further. Sometimes when we're at an edge and we feel uncomfortable, because I know for me personally, when I started reading up what autism was and how it can look in women and adult women, it was like, oh, wow, there's something about this that, you know, it's a shock because I absolutely never knew I was autistic, but I did know I was very sensitive. I knew I had a complex inner world. Um, that I knew I was different and I knew in some ways I found it hard to get intense connection with people. Um, that I could connect with people at a level and had lots of friends and lots of social networks, but not really that feeling of home and tribe. And the autistic stuff really spoke to that because it is identity. And to know ourselves and to know our identity gives us our power. It helps strengthen our boundaries. It helps us understand who we are and how we relate to the world. And all of that is absolutely central, essential, fundamental to the Rocksteady process. Um, for anyone who's living with chronic symptoms. So I think it's really useful to question for yourself which labels and diagnostic 
values or names you might be too strictly adhering to. So people might say things like, I have many years, therefore I can't drive, which is simply not true. Some people with many years disease do everything. They bungee jump, they travel, they drive, they work full time. So having a, a diagnostic label of many years does not cage anybody into a certain experience. So that word in many ways is better off used just for the doctors, the audiologists and the health professionals. It's not something you have to overly identify with. Whereas when it comes to neurotype and neurodivergence, and neurodivergence is actually a very broad term, which means anything that is not the typical neurotype. So anything that diverges from the typical um, way of brain processing, which is referred to as a neurotypical brain type. Um, I've heard all sorts of different statistics, things like 85% of people have a neurotypical brain type, so therefore 15% are neurodivergent, and it includes much more than autism and ADHD or dyslexia, and includes uh, dementia, forms of mental illness, trauma, um, prosopagnosia, which is face blindness, synesthesia, which is where people experience a crossover of their senses. So they might hear in color or um, see and smell. There's a crossover of the sensory pathways. So there's lots and lots of different ways that different people experience the world. And that's nothing to cure or change. But it's very useful for people to understand how they process information, how information has been taken in by their brain and body, how they're assimilating and accommodating into information, how they're integrating neural inputs and creating understanding matrices of the world that they're living in. And to also have this really beautiful understanding that all humans are different and other people are going to be experiencing, processing and constructing the world in their own unique way. The reason that I think um, exploring neurodivergence and whether or not anyone identifies as being neurodivergent is the understanding that we're living in largely a neurotypical world built by neurotypical people for neurotypical people. So when you are autistic or ADHD or dyslexic or whatever your identity is in your, your neurotype, there can be lots of challenges, extra challenges that we're facing. So all humans face challenges. And yes, all humans can experience sound sensitivity or burnout or extreme emotional intense periods in life. The difference for neurodivergent people is we tend to be experiencing it more frequently. So instead of that happening once or twice a year, it might happen daily or weekly. So things like going to school and being in a crowded classroom where there's a lot of things out of one's control, such as just the temperature of the room or the lighting of the room or the amount of solitude and quiet time that, that is accessible. Um, there's just a lot of sensory challenges and executive function challenges, which means the brain can get more easily overloaded. And then that can have that mental, emotional, spiritual effect of making a neurodivergent person feel that there's something wrong with them and feel shame. And, you know, on top of all the social expectations or assumptions around neurodiversity being like a medical diagnostic label that needs a cure or needs treatment, you know, that's a whole nother layer of shame and shaming that I really think we need to talk about as a community. I think it's much more healthy that people understand who they actually are and how their brain and body work and have a sense of integrity, dignity, and authentic connection to themselves. 
Um, I'm not suggesting that someone latch on to a label such as autism and then box themselves and trap themselves into what that may or may not mean because the reality is is that if you meet one autistic person, you've literally met one autistic person. We are all so different and it's a spectrum um, for a reason because of how our sensory challenges are so different. For example, I'm extremely sensory sensitive. So while, yes, I might enjoy going out to a party for half an hour or an hour, my brain will sort of get maxed out. Like I've, I've just had too much talking, too much noise, uh, too much excitement and overload very, very quickly. So I will often want to retreat to sit by a tree or to be on my own or to close my eyes and body scan. I'll be looking for that. I'll balance myself out by drawing away from excess external sensory inputs. Whereas another autistic woman, same age as me, living in the same country, might be the opposite and her her brain might absolutely thrive on crowds, large parties, busyness, and that, for whatever reason, might actually help her brain fire beautiful neurochemicals that help her organise all of her information. So we can have the same identity but expresses itself very differently and there are a number of reasons for that including whether or not we have an extroverted nervous system or an introverted nervous system so i think it's not about pigeonholing ourselves or getting trapped in labels i think it's more about exploring an understanding of how we experience the world and what that can do is release a lot of shame um you know, and I read, I've read a few uh, memoirs now of adult autistic women, and there's heaps that I absolutely do not relate to. I'm like, wow, that's not my experience at all. Um, but, you know, there might be little snippets of, oh, okay, me too. And, you know, a common one I've heard of for autistic women is they look back at their childhood and they'll remember that sleepover parties with friends were never easy. And I definitely relate to that. You know, it was really hard for me to feel comfortable or relax in somebody else's house because it's new smells, new sounds, new textures, new fabrics, new people. And there was so much of that sensory environment that just wasn't, that I didn't have control over. So while I may have enjoyed visiting friends for a short play for an hour or two, I would then want to come home to my familiar environment where I could be home and have that familiarity of sensory input. Um, so it's just, it's interesting, these little things as we learn about ourselves. And if we don't understand this, we can end up living our lives feeling that there's something wrong with us and we're broken because for whatever reason, we're not keeping up with the neurotypical expectation. The other piece is, you know, disability is not a dirty word. Disability is something that to a certain extent, every human probably experiences in some ways. And to have a disability means that we're not able to do something. We don't have physical, mental, emotional access to something. Um, and, you know, for argument's sake, if we were expected culturally to scale a huge cliff face wall and we weren't able to do that, that would be a disability. And we would need structures and supports in place to give us the resource and the training and the capacity to attempt or learn how to scale that mountain or get a lift up the mountain. So in daily life for many neurodivergent people, there are all these levels of disability where things can be too unpredictable. You know, a lot of autistic people find any level of change or transition very, very anxiety-provoking and stressful. And we do very well with having any level of predictability or control. 
which means in the workplace, we absolutely thrive on knowing what's coming and having a really detailed understanding of, um, you know, work meetings or targets or schedules, expectations. And same in the schoolroom, uh, autistic children are more likely to do better with a teacher who has very explicit um expectations or standards of what assignments are about, how they're going to be marked. And then there's that level of predictability and containment for an autistic child to thrive when things are vague or nuanced and um, they're perhaps just expected to turn up to a meeting that can cause a lot of anxiety and can lead to a level of social disability and mental um overload and stress which can affect executive function so they're not able to do their best in that situation. So a lot of neurodivergent people in a neurotypical world find that they need strategies and scaffolding to help them have lots of tools for emotional regulation, lots and skills and tools for managing uncertainty and change, lots and skills and tools for managing crowds of people and sensory input, lots and skills and tools for understanding their executive load and how to get the best out of their brain. Many autistic people have got various special interests or gifts, and in order to really thrive in the world, they need time to spend on those gifts. And I think if we don't understand this about ourselves, we can just tell ourselves we're weird or strange or odd and we can try and talk ourselves out of it when actually that can be exactly what our brain needs for an ADHD or autistic person, um, possibly dyslexic too, I don't know enough about it. But to actually I would say for all humans to really focus on our special interest and things that bring us pure joy and that we love they fire all these wonderful neurochemicals that are very nourishing for our brain and for our life. So it just makes sense from the rock steady neuroplasticity point of view to put ourselves in situations that are going to generate those desired feelings and bring upon that um, epic level of concentration and endurance to focus on something we love for such a long period of time and really let the brain marinate in that neurochemical cocktail of feeling relaxed, feeling connected, feeling joyful, feeling purposeful, which is exactly what we're like more likely to feel when we're engaged in our special interest. So understanding all of these things about ourselves, I think is really, really crucial for the Rocksteady journey, for understanding our chronic symptoms and why they might be flaring up and episodic and understanding how our brain and body work is all part of that journey. And I can't tell you how many clients I have met over the years, particularly women, but both men and women or um, non-gender conforming people who, who really have no idea what their special interests are. They don't know what their joy is. They don't know much about pleasure for themselves. It's a little bit of a, a mysterious black box because for whatever reason, they haven't felt permission to really explore that. And I think you know, that there is a cost for not exploring those really essential parts of ourselves. So, yeah, I think part of this conversation for me is certainly not about labels, but it is about exploring identity. You know, who are you in the world? How do you experience the world? What is your relationship and understanding to your brain processing, to your body's metabolization and integration? And you may or may not relate to exact words such as autism or ADHD or synesthesia or sensory processing disorder, these are all fancy labels which 
may or may not be useful, but understanding neurodivergence and different neurotypes can be a really useful exploration to help you do you better and to help you understand you. And coming back to the piece on disability, once we have deep compassion and understanding for ourselves that there's nothing wrong with us, you know, it's it's really okay to to live beautifully as an autistic woman. And it's okay to ask for more time in solitude. It's okay to ask for workplaces to adjust, to accommodate for our needs. And if we don't have these identities and understandings about ourselves, we end up pushing through, we end up pretending, faking, masking, we end up draining ourselves, exhausting ourselves and getting more sick because we're not advocating for those supports because we probably feel that we shouldn't be disabled and we shouldn't have those issues and challenges and therefore there's something wrong with us and we end up in this shame spiral. So it's partially about just acknowledging we live in a neurotypical world. There are many, many challenges and levels of disability that that can, that can be a very much a lived reality daily, weekly, monthly, and understanding how to advocate for support and to get our needs met and to have a team of people that understand who we are and how we operate in the world. It frees everything up so we can be more creative, more authentic and have more energy because we're not faking it, pushing through, exhausting ourselves and draining our life force day in, day out. Um, So something really common I would hear is like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I eat well, I sleep well, I do yoga, I meditate. You know, I don't know what more I can do, but I'm so tired and I feel so sick. And I think this understanding of identity and neurotype could be a really important part of this exploration and discovery. And then, of course, the conversation of internalized ableism, where we adopt that neurotypical ableist mentality and we actually shame ourselves and tell ourselves, I should be better, I should feel better, I'm doing my yoga, I'm meditating, what's wrong with me? You know, and this constant search, uh, is it a wheat allergy? Is it a dairy allergy? Blah, blah, blah. And it just goes on and on. When it could be that we're actually not understanding our neurotype. Therefore, we're not living within our window of tolerance or our capacity. We're overstretching our resources and we're constantly exhausted. So I hope this gives a little bit of background as to why it can be a very useful conversation for everyone. And I think whether you're new, you identify as neurotypical or neurodivergent, um, and also there could be times when you grow up identifying as neurotypical and then some kind of trauma hits you, which in my community could be the onset of severe chronic disabling tinnitus or vertigo. And that trauma then sets you on a path of experiencing neurodivergence in a new way because the way your brain is now processing information has changed and you no longer fit that neurotypical mold anymore. So there's this huge transition and change. Learning to understand that I think is extremely useful. So I look forward to more conversations on this topic. Um, To learn more about me and my community, visit seekingbalance.com.au. We have a very kind and welcoming community, neurodivergent affirming. We celebrate all neurotypes because you know what? We all have our challenges. Um, Yeah, I could go on and on, but I'll leave it there. It's a bye for now and I'll see you soon.